If you don't have a Chromebook or a laptop, if you don't have a hotspot, you probably haven't been learning or been in school since March. The COVID-19 outbreak has compounded long-standing inequities in our society. Among other things, the pandemic has exposed the digital haves and have-nots. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Community Dialogues, a program for frank discussions about race, racism, and racial justice. In the age of distance learning, the Bronx Borough President's Office has been working with nonprofit organizations to sound the alarm over the digital divide in the borough. They say a lack of access to computers and to the internet is standing in the way of an education for many students in the Bronx who come from low-income families. Rose DeStefano is Senior Director of Collective Impact at Children's Aid Society. She's among those working to level the playing field for low-income families and communities of color, and she's our guest on this edition of Community Dialogues. Rose, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you. I'm grateful to be here. So tell me about the work you do at the Children's Aid Society. Sure. So I run an initiative called Bronx Impact. Our mission is to dismantle structural racism and address longstanding and unjust inequities in the South Bronx. So we exist so residents can realize the community's shared vision of a vibrant neighborhood with infinite opportunity where people aspire to live, work, and raise families. So there are policies that are in place that have been placed for a long time that are keeping people from moving forward in life. So we oftentimes, I think the example that a lot of people know about is, is redlining, right? There are things that are written into zoning laws. There are things that are written into leases that um, have prevented people from you know, uh, being able to rent or purchase different homes in different neighborhoods. Those kinds of policies have not been uncovered or addressed fully so that even if we have all of the emergency relief and lots of organizations working to solve problems, we're still only going to be providing band-aid solutions. We're not really getting to the root cause of issues. Yeah. So how are you seeing that play out in the everyday lives of Bronxites? Uh, I mean, I think COVID-19 has really brought to light a lot of the structural inequities that have been in place for a long time. Uh, You know, where folks who are in other parts of the city who had stable housing or, you know, more job security, they're only dealing with, you know, the challenges around health care or challenges around like getting their kid into school. But for Bronx residents, they're having to deal with all of this added layer of challenges. I think particularly we're seeing this around housing right now and the amount of people that are facing eviction at this time. Um, It's startling and really scary. Um, We also are seeing this in things like nutritious meals that are are not being offered to children at schools, like um, the way that schools are forced to choose meals based on what they can be reimbursed uh, for by the FDA. It's like we needed, we knew that there was a problem earlier on uh, in the school year where there wasn't water being offered because the FDA was not going to reimburse water. And so the DOE was forced to think of some solution and their solution at that time was let's offer kids juice boxes and have that juice tick the box on a fruit and on water, which obviously is not um, an appropriate solution. That has since been reversed, and now 
um, they are being reimbursed for, for water, but those are the kinds of things they're facing. So problems that existed for low-income families, communities of color prior to COVID are now that much worse because of COVID. Because of COVID, exactly. I mean, the everybody, I think, in the whole country, and especially in New York City, is facing challenges. But because of the lack of food to access that exists in the Bronx and all of the food deserts, because of the lack of, of ownership, home ownership, right? Like uh, because of the types of jobs that many Bronx, Bronx residents hold, the stability that they had in place prior to COVID was, was not as stable as some other places in New York City and put them in a much uh, more disadvantaged position. And we're seeing this, of course, with the connectivity issue as well. Yeah, connectivity. A lot of kids have been thrust into online learning. What are the challenges students from low-income families are facing in the age of COVID? Well, the first challenge is that no one knows exactly how many children are not learning right now. The DOE recently released some numbers that showed 77,000 children are not currently in school and not connected uh, through devices. But, you know, our, our bigger concern is that the DOE has stated that they've distributed 80, 84,000, almost 85,000 devices in the Bronx. And yet we know many families that still don't have a device. Uh, they've also recently promised to distribute 100,000 more devices, 75,000 in November and another 25,000 in uh, over the winter break. Is that because there are 100,000 students who don't have a way to connect to school? We really don't know. And without knowing, we can't properly address the problem. So we know that there are lots of high school students that are helping their younger siblings. And we know that there are lots of students that are doing their homework on or accessing their classes through the telephone. Um, and they don't have a proper tool to actually, uh, to actually complete their assignments. I think, you know, with so many students being in a connectivity desert, if you don't have a Chromebook or a laptop, if you don't have a hotspot, and if you live in a shelter, uh, if there are multiple students in your home, meaning more than one kid, you probably haven't been learning or been in school since March. And then to add to that, if you are a child with an individualized education plan, if you're a multi-language learner, if your parents don't speak English as their primary language, or they're not tech literate, or if you're in a household where both parents are essential workers, there's just so much more need that's not fully being met for these families. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's a lot. And I think what really gets to me is like, what kind of message are we sending to these children and young people? The underlying message that they're hearing is that their education doesn't matter. And to take this a step further, I was talking to a young, a young person last week about this. And she said, um, it's not just that my education doesn't matter to the higher ups. It's that I don't matter and my siblings don't matter. What are your concerns around what this will mean for the long term? How much they'll lose over all of these months and not be able to make up? I mean, I have a lot of concerns. I, I think about, you know, I used to work in, in the 
in the workforce development space. So I know a lot about like, you know, children's growth patterns and how that connects to opportunities later on in your life around employment. Um, so, you know, that's a big concern for me. It's like, what is this gonna mean for the job market going forward? Um, what does it mean for businesses and, you know, future business owners? Um, I also know that, you know, children who are graduating from high school have a lower uh, rate of going to prison or, you know, ending up in uh, some issues or challenges around our incarceration system. So that's a huge concern for me. Um, and I think also, you know, in, in general around like remote learning and being disconnected even from remote learning, right? If you're just fully disconnected, what does that mean for children who are not able to socialize with their friends, with teachers? Um, the mental health crisis is real. Uh, I'm also hearing a lot about that. Every single young person I've talked to in the last month has talked about mental health, that it's something that needs to be looked at and talked about, and there need to be more intentional services around that. So, you know, I, I also have some uh, two nephews and a niece that are currently in remote learning right now and, and watching them struggle. I mean, it's, uh, it's really scary. And I will also say that there is this part of me, maybe it's the radical optimist in me that believes that, you know, because uh, low-income communities have always proven to be so resilient, um, which is not something that we should, we should bank on, right? But it's just something that we see consistently. I also believe that young people are they're overcoming these challenges and bringing in new and innovative, creative ways to connect to each other that things that we never could have imagined, you know, adults and nonprofits that we try to think through, but, um, you know, but we're not really the ones who are experiencing those challenges. And so I do have some hope. Is there hope in the fact that because COVID-19 has revealed more of the inequities in the Bronx, specifically inequities felt by low-income families and communities of color, is there hope that perhaps this will lead to long-term change, that it will result in better outcomes going forward because it's out there now in a bigger way than it was before? I, I, I think you're onto something, but I... You know, I'll, I'll quote Nicole Hannah-Jones, where she says she doesn't waste her time with hope. She spends her time in rage. And I think that America has a short-term memory. We get really riled up about things and try to push for change. But what we are trying to shift in the Bronx requires long-term sustained focus and energy and, and advocacy. So I, I do have some hope that more people know now, and I do think more people, especially Bronx residents, are more empowered and more emboldened and speaking up. But how that shakes out at the end of the day, um, you know, I think will really depend on allies and you know other people coming in and saying this issue matters and we're going to do something about it. Are there any particular efforts that you would like to talk about that you're leading at the Children's Aid Society to help combat these inequities? Um, yeah, sure. So we are focused on a couple of different issues. 
one I would say that probably the primary one outside of this tech connectivity issue is, is around food security. So we know food insecurity is soaring and uh, we, we run a, uh, we have a website called my.bronximpact.org. It's an online resource website. People can type in their zip code and find resources in their neighborhood. And we're also able to track on the back end, what are people looking for? And every single week since March 15th, the number one search term has been food. So we know that Bronx residents are looking for food. And we also know, like I was speaking about earlier around uh, you know, structural inequities, places like in Community Board 6, Community District 6, that the grocery store to bodega ratio is one to 36. So not a lot of access, wow. healthy, nutritional food, right? So add, add the pandemic to this existing food desert. And it's, it's really the top issue for Bronx residents right now and has been since March. Families just don't have enough food to feed their children and, and enough money to, to pay for food or even to get access to that food. So we are working with uh, Fifth Neighborhoods, who is actually running the, the uh, place-based team in Community District 6 in partnership with the Bronx Community Foundation and building out a Bronx-wide food uh, insecurity strategy. Like what are all of the things that are happening right now that we can try to collect and then we can build more of a strategic plan across all of those different strategies. So not just looking at pantries and you know the restaurants so that the restaurants can prepared meals, but let's also think about where the produce is coming from. How do we connect with farmers in upstate New York? You know, how are we thinking about community fridges? And there's been a, 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 a new resurgence of community fridges that are happening across the Bronx right now. Those need to be maintained and funded, um, you know, constantly cleaned. There needs to be education around those foods. Um, and we also need to be thinking about things like transportation around you know, the produce, but also transportation of meals for people with disabilities and, and seniors as well. So I'm very excited about that food insecurity work and excited to have a more collective strategy with loads of partners that are all working on these issues. We all care about the same thing, but we need to work smarter together. We're also doing a lot of work in the early childhood space. So lots of, uh, of the child care providers in the Bronx, there's 2,700 child care providers in the Bronx. Many of them are black and brown women business owners. They were struggling to stay open and there's, there've been a series of challenges with COVID and outside of COVID, um, just as, as business owners alone. And so we've helped them to access the PPP loans, um, you know, get access to supplies that they need, um, and also to advocate for them um, on the city level. So those are just a couple of the things that are happening that uh, we're also doing work in the education space and, and, um, and around the employment and business support space. Uh, on Jerome Avenue, there's an initiative called Jerome Avenue Revitalization Collaborative that is run by Jobs First and they've launched a hub. Now there's, uh, I think, 50 partners that are working to help business owners stay in the community and also to 
help workers who live in that community to access some of the wealth that's coming in through development and, and other opportunities. Let me ask you this question, Rose. You referenced that conversation earlier that you had with a young individual. What do you say to a young individual who feels that lack of support, that there's no one in their corner? Yeah. And after I have like a little cry on the side, um, <laughs> Um, well, what I said to, to this person was your voice matters. And I reminded her about all of the people who are around her, who are, who are rooting for her, who are standing behind her and supporting her. And I also was really honest with her that like what she's seeing is real and, uh, you know, wasn't trying to smooth over the experience that she's having. It doesn't help. It doesn't help to do that, right? She knows what she's living every single day. Um, but just talk to her about, you know, how her voice matters, how she can uh, play a leadership role with her peers, uh, with her school. And so I think, you know, rallying their experience, reminding them that other people are also noticing what they're noticing and and then putting them in positions of leadership um, so that they can really get their voice heard. That's a very positive note to end on, Rose. Don't silence your voice. I always tell people, don't mute yourself, right? Speak up. Rose, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you getting these issues out there and I'm so grateful for you. Rose DeStefano is Senior Director of Collective Impact at Children's Aid Society. And that's it for this edition of Community Dialogues. I'm George Bolarki. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.